Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Bushwick Block Party presented by Roberta, Death Killers of Bushwick, Bushwick Music Studio, Heritage Radio Network, Planet of the Fate, Green Fitness Studio, and New York Loft Hostel featuring awesome food from Roberta, Jen and the Outlaw Fish Fry Truck, BMX Grind Box, Dodgeball, Bikini Cake Stand Contest, Psychedelic T-Shirt Auction, Photo Booth by Mary Meyer, Music by... <laughs> Team Rook, Pierre, Electric Tickle Machine, Sweet Bowl, Shark, Phone Tag, Hunter, Get Real, Knife Show, Block Party, More Street between Bogart and White, Party in the Street, Free Show, followed by Death Killers, Death Rally, and 3D at BushwickBlockParty.com. And welcome to the Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting from, as you heard in that last commercial, two shipping containers outside Roberta's Pizza, where there's an awesome block party going on today at 261 Moore Street in, Brook- in Bushwick, Brooklyn. So today's show is sponsored by Bushwick Block Party. I'm Carmen DeVito. I'm Alice Marcus Krieg. And we are the ladies of We We Dig Plants and of Groundworks, Inc. We design and build gardens in New York and the surrounding area. And this show aims to bring the the culture to horticulture. So right now it's raining in New York and it's kind of yucky, but uh, it made me nostalgic for my summer vacation. This summer I drove cross country from Kansas, Manhattan, Kansas, to my ultimate destination, Los Angeles, specifically um, Venice Beach on a kind of family road trip. It was going to be one of those trips where we did not plan on seeing any gardens because my family's on to me now. I talk <laughs> about historic houses and they're like, you're bringing us on a garden tour, you know? <laughs> oh, mom. Uh, damn it. Um, so it was going to be a garden tour free vacation. So after nearly two weeks of traveling through Kansas and the Mojave and those endless, you know, barren landscapes, I really wasn't prepared for the horticultural envy that LA and Venice Beach would inspire in me. I was blown away. I was walking around Venice Beach in this kind of daze, snapping photos of one garden after another. And, you know, it became obvious to me that people really loved plants here and they also really love good design. And they surround themselves. It's really a way of life. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And this design was so different from New York. It was free. It was liberating. It was so not, it was so individual, I guess, the way is the way that I could kind of describe it. It was not cookie cutter or I have to have this or I have to have that, you know, to, they didn't define gardens. It wasn't you know, a status symbol. No, it wasn't. It was very, very personal. And of course, you know, they have awesome weather and they took full advantage of it. And I, you know, I thought to myself, well, I would put up with an occasional earthquake or a mudslide or a fire if I could have <laughs> a papyrus hedge or an ancient agave in my front yard. Sure. You know, <laughs> but um, but beyond the great variety of plants was like they had this like, amazing 
like they were fearless in their use of color and they were like whimsical with their paving and with the fencing and with and they included art in their gardens mm-hmm. and in a public way not just like oh just you know just the right sculpture not in, in the, a precious way but, no right. it felt very very personal when i walked around venice beach you know they had these sweet little bungalows you know three million dollar bungalows but um they had front porches they welcomed they you, you felt welcomed like you could look in and you could participate in it they had like parasols and fountains and like these living walls it was like really very magical i felt like i was in this like kind of Disneyland for gardens but but not in a but bad not way <laughs> no not in a bad way right. you know and palm trees overhead and everything so we had amazing California weather but of course under the sort of pretense of a cloudy day that was too cold for swimming we ended up at the Getty and I ended up on the garden tour, <laughs> which I wasn't. Oh, mom. Uh, I know. I didn't force them to go, though. And I fell under the spell of the Getty. So today, we will be traveling vicariously to the West Coast and speaking with one of the creators of the Getty Garden in Los Angeles, Jim Dugan. Jim Dugan is a garden designer, a consultant, and a nurseryman, and he works, lucky him, in Southern California and the island of Maui, where he has a small nursery in each area. And in addition, he also works for the Getty Center, um, and his official title there is Curatorial Advisor for the Central Garden and has been involved with the Central Garden since, since its inception in 1998. The artist Robert Irwin, some of you may know, conceived the Central Garden, and Jim was the plant side of Irwin's design, and I think the resultant garden is an amazing collaboration of their work. Now, Irwin is retired from the project, and the garden is in Jim's hands, and the Getty has also published Jim's book on the garden titled Plants in the Getty's Central Garden. This is the story of the collaboration of artist and gardener and of Irwin's concept for the garden. And also, the book also talks about the plants and, you know, what, what plants are there and how to grow them. Jim, we're so pleased to have you on the show today. Well, thanks for uh, being interested in the Getty Gardens. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it took me 10 years to get there, but I finally got there. So, um, so Jim, you might... gotten better over those 10 years, too, so... Yeah. yeah. Jim, you might hear some crazy music. There's a big block party going on behind <laughs> us. Um, so if you hear some music, we're, we're having a big New York party over here. That sounds like fun. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but let's talk about the gardens. So um, in your essay... Um, in your book, um, A Gardener Meets Artist, tell, us, tell our audience a little bit how you met Robert Irwin. I thought that was a really interesting story and, and how your various roles in the garden's creation sort of evolved. Well, I, I lucked out. I, I had a small retail nursery and uh, one of the landscape architects, they actually live in San Diego, was a, a customer at the nursery and visiting they were talking about this project up in LA that they were doing this at the at the Getty Center and this artist was selecting all of these unusual plants and one of the first things they did was Bob had chosen a list of some 500 plants that he picked from books you know and visiting nurseries and gardens and they asked me if I could obtain as many of those plants as possible grow them at my nursery so Bob could come and watch them grow because he's not a gardener he doesn't know anything more than what he actually sees if he sees a one gallon plant i mean that's it he's looking at the right gallon plant he needs to know what it's going to turn into the fall color spring color shape texture blah 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 exactly so they started now bob and 
and the landscape architect started coming to the nursery regularly, and Bob and I kind of hit it off right from the beginning. Uh, they would arrange plants in, in different groupings, and at first I kind of stood in the background, but Bob's always asking questions, and kind of the question he asks always is, where does this plant go from here? Because mm-hmm. you know, he doesn't know. Mm-hmm. And so I was able to give them a lot of, inf- give especially Bob, a lot of information. Um, so then the landscape architects started noticing that we're getting along really well together, and they're having a tough time a bit figuring out how to interpret Bob's artistic ideas. Right. So they asked me if I'd like to give it a try, and I went, well, let me check my schedule, you know. And, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> so, uh, I lucked out, and it you know, it's been a really a wonderful experience working with Bob and the audience that we have and the support of the Getty Center. It's been a real treat. And you and Bob had something else in common, too, didn't you, Jim? Well, we're both <laughs> dancers and uh, swing dancers, and Bob is uh, a, a fabulous Lindy dancer. Uh, in fact, just recently he was at the Getty. He, he, he doesn't come much, uh, but I hadn't seen him for maybe six months there, and there was actually a girl who was setting up a Lindy or a swing dance get-together. And oh, knew Bob, and she went, hey, Bob, you want to dance? And at first he went, no, you know, I mean, we're kind of busy. And then on the way back, she said <laughs> it again, and he went, so, okay, yeah, let's do one. And so here he goes, and he just... He was marvelous, you know. Oh, that's great. That's an amazing story because he's something like 82 or 83 now, isn't he? Right. He's in his early 80s and uh, he is still hot as a pistol, you know. Yeah, I mean, he's one of the original kind of New York School Black Mountain College abstract painter guys. He is. He, He. You know, I've been to dinner with him many times where he invites a lot of his uh, artist friends and the stories these guys tell and women tell is pretty Uh, cool. Yeah. Um, Well, one one of the things that really struck me about the essays um, in your book was um, Bob's quote of changes in the air. Um, I, I think because he wasn't a plants person and he wasn't a landscape architect per se, you know, he was really looking at this quote-unquote discipline from a different discipline, which really has changed, I think, the face of, of how gardens are perceived and how they're welcomed. And I think you all did that so successfully um, at the Getty that you've really changed the whole kind of forecast and industry of, of gardens. You know, in your little introduction, you were talking about uh, all of the individual styles out in Venice Beach and yes. how people are willing to try just about anything, it seems. And yeah. Well, I would hope that was part of our influence, is that because we're certainly uh, willing to try just about anything. Uh, because we're not trying to give you a rose garden or, a, right. you know. Uh, an English cottage garden or a native plant garden. We're not, it's nothing like that at all. I mean, there's lots of wonderful plants, but we're really trying to convey, you know, Bob's view of perception and, and, and through an artistic way. And so that comes before the plants. Yeah, can you tell us, a, one thing that also struck me was, um, I guess when you were speaking with the landscape architect as he approached you at your garden center, um, there was kind of some snickering about Bob wanted to plant a typical, uh, I guess it was a miscanthus or, or a, penicetum. a penicetum. Well, he was actually thinking of planting a, a penicetum cetaceum, which is 
a really aggressive, weedy grass, uh-huh. although it's beautiful, uh-huh. you know, and so Bob, you know, he doesn't know any, he, he just says, hey, there's a really good looking grass. Yeah. And, uh, we ended up doing a long study on grasses and chose many, many really great grasses and never really used this penny sedum. But even I, in the beginning, you know, went, oh, well, that's crazy. You know, I mean, what yeah. did this know about anything? But I love but that he was open willingness to, look. to yeah. look at, at things a new way is what was exciting. Yeah, yeah. And it was different for you for you as well, wasn't it, Jim? Like you, you in the process, you thought about plants in a very fundamentally different way after working with uh, Bob Irwin, right? Oh, he certainly has changed uh, me for the better. I think as a, a, a plantsman. I mean, I know lots about plants, uh, but he offers this wonderful new way of looking at things. I mean, for their, the hue of the, the color, the, the pattern in the leaf, or the, the, the texture and structure. And, and again, just really the willingness to not get stuck in any particular plant lover's mode, which we often do, mm-hmm. uh, and, yeah. and, and to try something else. To, and it's been, and I, I'm a plant nut anyway, so it's not, it wasn't that hard for me to get to try another plant. <laughs> so can you walk us through the garden virtually? For those who oh. haven't uh, visited it yet, and the, everyone should. <laughs> the garden is really composed of, well, Two main parts with maybe a, a third part too. The, the the two main parts are what we call the stream garden and the bowl garden. And the stream garden is the first part that you're going to encounter and it's basically a zigzag path. Materials that are chosen are just incredible. I mean corten steel, bronze railings, uh wonderful granites, uh uh Bob really chose wonderful materials. So th- that's the background, the setting the, the, that's, that it's in. The, the stream garden is really a study of leaf, uh, and any flower that's in it is, is just an extra. It's really not the, the goal of the stream garden. Mm-hmm. There are f- four sections in the stream garden, four different vignettes that Bob's trying to uh, create. Uh, and then the bowl garden is a similar thing. There are four sections, but now the bowl garden is the flower garden. It's yes. just an explosion of, uh, of flowers where, you know, again, leaf is really what's important in the, uh, the stream garden. The thing in the middle is what we call the plaza. And <clears throat> as you come off the stream, you enter a large flat area, DG. Uh, there's a waterfall that drops over an edge of red cornelian granite, again, beautiful material, into this circular bowl garden. And, of course, the surprise that you find when you come down the stream and you come up to this waterfall edge is this floating azalea pool. Yes. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's the and maze-looking thing. It looks like this, a, It is yeah. not just maze-looking. It is an yeah. actual maze yeah. constructed of, with, planted with azaleas that are appear to be floating in water. Now, the planters, of course, are waterproof, so they're not really in water, but they're certainly surrounded by water. And when those azaleas are going off, uh, it's really see. And they're clipped so beautifully. It's not your, you know, if people are visualizing an azalea, you know, the typical... These are roomy azaleas, which are a smaller-leafed one, really meant to be clipped, or really at least... Uh, respond to clipping very, very well. 
And it's really our second group of azaleas that have been in there because we couldn't get the kurumis the first time. They just weren't available, and we had to grow them on. But, uh, no, they're, they're really... There's a red one, there's a pink one, and a white one. And the red one, actually, in the wintertime, the leaf becomes very uh, uh, deep reddish bronze. And so you get not only the, the flower, but you get these contrasts of green and... Of foliage, and yeah. Too. Right. So you're, you're a garden designer and a garden builder, um, which is actually what Carmen and I are. And um, I know Carmen was fascinated to read about the process of staging and planting the garden. You had some huge challenges and some seriously uncooperative weather, right? <laughs> well, when this was back in 1998 or so. Right, when it was back installed. In 1997 when we were first installing the garden. Uh-huh. That winter was a big El Nino year. I mean, you know, the reports, are, they're always saying, oh, it's going to be El Nino year. Well, well that year really was. I mean, the <laughs> rain just came down in hellacious buckets, just one storm after the other. I, I have a memory where I'm the last one in the garden still willing to work because the weather is so bad, and I'm pulling my little nurse full of plants and literally leaning 45 degrees into the blowing wind and planting into mud right finally just give up the ghost and you know go back to the hotel oh. <laughs> uh, probably the second other really major thing that affected us is I, I had actually grown a great deal of the plants myself at my own nursery we were collecting them for a really long time and and taking cuttings and growing them on and it was time to bring them up to the garden and and so we had a trucking company go down and pick up the plants. And I arrived one morning in the trucks there, and we got all these guys to unload it. And I come up to the door, and I open the doors to the truck. And, oh, my God, all the shelves in the truck had collapsed oh. and crushed a Years. year and a half's worth of work. Yeah. Oh. That's the story that I remember, Jim, because I, I, I could feel your pain in that moment. Oh. I yeah. could feel Jeez, it. Was, and this was a couple of weeks before opening. I mean, yeah. we can't, you couldn't go out and buy these plants again. They no, just, the pressure's on, yeah. So wow. some of the plants, they weren't killed, but they weren't, as we say, in, at retail quality today. Yeah, you know? right. They were not retail ready. <laughs> but somehow right. you got there, you got it done. Well, we have to take a little bit of a break. Um, <laughs> and when we come back, we'll be talking more with Jim Dugan of The Getty. to We Dig Plants Heritage Radio Network and we are on the show today talking with Jim Duggan from the Getty. So welcome back Jim. 
Yeah. And uh, Carmen, talk more a little bit about what you observed at the Getty. Sure. Well, I was there in the summertime and um, in, in July, actually, and I've, I observed that most of the visitors eventually gravitated to the Central Garden and down into the bowl. It was like this magnet, you know, it had this like magnetic attraction for people. And it, to me, it kind of felt like like a kind of a shrine, you know, Jim, what do you think it is like that get that draws people to that? I mean, other than the flower color, you know? <laughs> You know, the Getty, just overall, is a visual feast. You know, you come up the tram, there's these wonderful buildings and covered in travertine, and, and it's a very large, expanding thing. Uh, but when you walk over towards the Central Garden, you look down and, wow, you know, it's like it glistens down there. It's, it's, it's attracting you. And I'm, I'm not quite sure why but it certainly does and of course now people know about it too and 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 people come back many times to visit to revisit um and 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 so i think the attraction that there's a garden growing on down there and that uh and there's a i have this thing about gardening is the, the 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 involvement that we put into it is so important uh and i think people really respond to that that they know it's not going to be the same thing every time there's going to be something different uh right let's go down there and check it out changes in the air right yeah and it's very interesting to me um when i was in the introduction when i was com- sort of comparing east and west coast now moma just redid their their building mm-hmm. right couple years and Ken Smith but the garden on the roof but it's not a real garden Jim it's all plastic artificial plants and stone there is not a living thing on the MoMA roof yeah well that's also I mean you know roof load was a big issue so I think Ken did the best that he that he could but that's why California is so much better (laughs) (laughs) speaking speaking wishful thinking Uh, yeah (laughs) (laughs) but no it just to me it represents an investment Right now, Ken Smith's landscape on that roof, if you want to call it that, it has low maintenance, right? I mean, what, there's no maintenance. There's no maintenance or very little, right? But the Getty has what? What? I mean, what a team of eight gardeners or a dozen or more gardeners, Jim? Isn't that right? Like to keep it well, looking. I wish we had that many gardeners. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, every day uh, there's maybe three guys in the garden. You know, everyone mm-hmm. suffered uh, budget cuts over the years, and right. and of course we have too. Um, and but you know, there are people in the garden working on the garden every day. Uh, yeah, I saw some when I was there. You know, working. Um, and, and that's the difference that I think is. This this is more my view rather than what. Irwin came up with, but I have showed this difference between landscaping and gardening. And yes. this isn't a value judgment. It's not that one is better yeah, or worse. Yeah. No, but it's, it's an important distinction. The that gets put into it that makes the garden different is that you have to be there. You have to be involved with it. Yeah. Sing it, brother. Sing. I, I, I hear you. <laughs> well, we have to sing that. We have to tell our clients that all the time. Some people, some clients want a garden, Jim, and some people want a landscape. And once, you know, that's that's a very important distinction. We try to explain to them the importance of maintenance. You cannot have a a no-maintenance garden. It's just impossible. You can't have a no-maintenance landscape for that matter. But if the clients we found that had the most successful gardens were the ones that understood that, you know? Absolutely. I mean, you, 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 you have to have a gardener to have a garden. 
It's yeah. just not going to work otherwise. Yeah. Uh, but there's so many um, kind of um, odes to garden history at the Getty. Um, you know, there's influences as broad as Villa Lante and Giverny and um, Asian gardens. So what do you think the Getty garden adds to the history of garden design? Well, you know, that's a... It's a tricky question, I suppose, and a difficult one. I, I, I think one thing that Bob and I would kind of like to convey is that it's really okay to use a plant for the moment. That uh, yeah. you know, people go out and buy annuals by the truckloads, and they don't worry if they die because they know their annuals are going to go away. But geez, you can really do that with all of your plants. We use perennials and, as annuals a lot. <laughs> and. Uh, uh, don't be afraid to try something new. I mean, the, the books aren't always right. Uh, go ahead, yeah. plant a new plant, and uh, t- and be involved with your garden. Now, that's really the success. Is the longer you play with it, the better it's going to get. Yeah, I liked. I also liked um, in in your essay. You were talking about um, Bob's kind of. Um, perception of of the garden as a painting and and that he was he kind of had a painterly approach to the garden and that he would look for kind of kicker colors and contrasting colors to to juxtapose one against the other well well, Bobby is really uh, the master of color he has spent his whole life uh, studying color Mm -hmm. he did these these paintings where he would be orange with an orange line on it and he yeah. would just sit in front of the painting for days you know and then he'd move the line a little bit you know and so he, he really understands color to a depth that is well, way over almost everybody else's head and uh, so he brings that to, to the garden you know you take an area of say in the top of the garden in the stream is an area of gray plants a gray is a very subtle color usually people maybe will use blues and uh, whites and purples with it but Bob will throw yellow in there and he'll throw orange in there right. you know it's a thicker the... color and it really activates the gray it yeah. turns it from this subtle color to a very active color yeah yeah let's talk about plants for a moment let's go a little bit more in depth um, with the plants in the Getty what are some of the plants that you've fallen in love with while working on that garden that you can recommend to our listeners in any zone I have a list of my favorites that I'm going to post but I want to hear from you Well, um, I can offer some wonderful plants. I don't know about any zone because, unfortunately, for me or for you, I work only where it's warm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, let's just say try it. You know, yeah. Let's just Treat it as an us, annual, or tell us you know. your favorites and let gardeners. You know, one of the out. ones that uh, we stumbled on, I stumbled on, is is the Corsican hellebores, Hellebores argutifolius. There's also a variegated form, and for us, hellebores really don't do well. The especially orientalis, the green leaf varieties, mm-hmm. the they, the tips burn and they don't you know they don't last long. But the Corsican hellebore does really well in Southern California in warm climates. Uh, just really, really, really nice, and it gives you these lime green flowers uh, in the winter hmm. when nothing else is happening, and that's, that was unusual for us, so that was a really good one. Another plant I really enjoy is uh, Coleonema uh, Sunset Gold, which is uh, the golden breath of heaven. I mean, it's got a wonderful name, first of all. And yeah. It, 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 it's a low-growing, uh, heather-like plant uh, with scented foliage, little pinkish-white flowers. Uh, 
just a great accent color. I mean, I I use it religiously. I I really love it. Uh, another group that we you probably use them a lot is the is the Alliums. Yes, uh, we, uh, yes, we do. <laughs> we kind of got into that later on, and not from the beginning, but have totally fallen in love with the Alliums, uh, Allium Schubertii, and Allium Christophii, which we call the exploding stars, uh, are just really 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 cool uh now here we really need to stick them in the refrigerator and uh, when we get them and uh chill them for a few weeks before we plant them out but they're really just dramatic plants in the garden that's what my west coast friends were saying um when i was telling them about my horticultural envy coming to southern california they said well we can't grow peonies well and we can't have lilacs and i said be quiet you have you can have a lot more than we can see we've gone to desperate measures as to grow (laughs) things like peonies you know putting the whole plant in the refrigerator and (laughs) it doesn't really work those are some big refrigerators (laughs) (laughs) no we I, I, we did it. I, I honest engine, you know. We, yeah. We, we, we brought in, we had refrigerators and we used them and we put the peonies in there, but it still didn't work. No. Not well, at <laughs> least. Well, Bob was talking, uh, you mentioned in your essays about uh, the sensory experience, right? So the one thing that I observed is that you use society garlic, which isn't an allium, right? But you society garlic, which doesn't have a nice fragrance, all underplanted under the... Um, under the London Plains, right? Or the Sycamores? I think they're London Plains. Well, well, surrounding the ball garden are three rings of plants. The first lower one is Palancoe, Pumilla, and then Society Garlic, which is Pulbagia. Mm-hmm. And then and then above that is a Chondropetalum, which is a Cape Reed. And, and all of these plants really had to be bulletproof plants because it's a mass planting. And if you started getting holes in it and things died off, well, that really wouldn't work too well. Uh, so it's one of the few places where I deliberately chose, or we chose, bulletproof plants. Now, Society Garlic is one of those, and uh, there's a green-leafed form, and then there's a variegated-leafed form. We are using the variegated-leafed form. It's beautiful. Form. It's beautiful, Jim. It has purple flowers, but it does have this fragrance that <laughs> some people don't appreciate, you know? <laughs> I mean, I've heard it a lot. People are going, what is that smell? <laughs> yes. And I go... Put your fangs away. <laughs> I actually enjoy it. You know, I don't mind it. But uh, it looks really uh, great under the trees, actually, um, as an underplanting. It's been a great plant, I, it, and I think it's it's also planted in all three of these rings are planted in radiating lines, mm-hmm. and so there's a pattern to the planting. Especially, you don't see it so much in the tobaji now because it's an older planting, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're actually going to replace it in a year or two and get that line back to it. But so there's ge- there's a lot of geometry in the garden. Bob's whole design is full of geometry, and even in the plant in these rings themselves, the, they are planted in, a, in in geometry. Yeah, I saw that. In fact, well, I wanted to ask you. That was uh, one of the questions. Was um, what directions are you going? What new directions are you going with the plants and the landscape there? Because it's always changing and evolving, and you learn what works and what doesn't. What uh, what new things can we expect at the Getty if we visit now? Or in the well, future? you can always expect something new. First of all, uh, I'm constantly out looking for new plants. I, I do three trips a year where I go out 
up and down the coast of California, sometimes farther, and uh, look for new plants. And it, to me, it's really important to actually go to the nursery and look at the plant, because even though I know lots of things, I'll see something that I wasn't thinking about and went, whoa, that would work really good in this area. Right. And uh, the, the challenge with any garden, of course, is that as it matures, well, the plants are getting bigger, you know, and what do you do with that? Do you just... Is it, sometimes a plant actually, for me, in the Getty Garden, just has gotten too big. It doesn't fit the space that it yeah. was designed for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it has to come out, and a younger one has to go in. And you and have so, acres. Imagine in New York, yeah. <laughs> we always are constantly shuffling things around, dividing. That's one of the biggest challenges. Editing. It looks sweet Constantly and editing. kind of good yeah. for the first few years, and then, you know, it just... Does you know when the perennial is half the size of the tree? That's a problem, you know. Yeah. I think you you know I, I'm ruthless. If it's not working, it's gone. Yeah, you have to be uh, that it, way. It's a constant editorial job, actually. Especially at the Getty, you know. I mean, like the beds in the bowl are 12 feet wide. They're they're not going to get bigger. Right. Uh, and so we have to deal with that space. And so it's a matter of pruning, of course, and dividing, but sometimes, well, no, the plant will have to go, and a new plant has to go in. Right. So I have a last important question for you, Jim. Do you take uh, interns in the winter, you know, like light-starved New Yorkers who need to go to California and are willing to work? (laughs) Because you might get two on your doorstep. (laughs) I do get asked that question, and unfortunately... That's out of my league. Oh, okay, is, uh, I just thought I'd ask. <laughs> We'd have to go to the head HR. of grounds and ask that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks so much for being our guest today and for shedding some light, um, West Coast light, into our gray New York days. Yes. <laughs> Well, and it is a beautiful day here, too. I hate to rub it in, but uh, it's, well, we've, it's nice today. Good, good. We actually need the rain, so I'm, I'm actually kind of pleased that it's raining, but um, hopefully it'll stop tomorrow. Well, hopefully the next time I come out west, I will stop by your nursery, Jim, and meet you in Please person. Do. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being on. You've been listening to We Dig Plants on the Heritage Radio Network. We want to thank the um, the good folks at the Bushwick Block Party. Today's show was produced by Jack Inslee and engineered by Nat Wiener. Please join us on our Facebook fan page, Groundworks Inc. We Dig Plants. We'd love your feedback. We're going to be posting a link to the Getty, of course, and to Jim's Nursery and some of our other West Coast favorites. Thanks for listening. See you in the garden. Thank you. Thank you.